excuse me, let's take our Bibles and let's study about how we give our lives to the Lord. I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 12. Join me there. We're going to be going through a variety of verses. And as I said just a few moments ago, that we're going to be doing a different type of message than I normally do. And so for me, this is very uncomfortable doing this type of a study because it's just out of the ordinary. But I hope it's helpful. I really believe this is what the Lord has impressed upon my heart. Some of you are just joining us right now who are on, online. We have started a ministry several weeks ago. And what we're doing is we're trying to be able to have live broadcast of our services so that individuals can join us who are not for you to stay home but individuals who because of illness or because of different complications they have to stay home and they can join and sit in on our service. With that in mind, let me, I've not addressed it in a while, but let me just mention a few things. We are working through, trying to work through some of the details. It's a new ministry for us and as well some of the equipment is and how we're working it. So we've had times in the last few weeks where all of a sudden we haven't had sound going out. Part of that was our own sound equipment a couple weeks ago. We lost an entire distributor that we didn't know we lost until Sunday morning. And so sometimes that has impact. We uh, up to this point have not been doing the services but only the preaching time. And we want to expand I, well, the music part of the service but only the preaching time. We need to pay certain monies in order to be able to broadcast the music portion of our service. So we've been checking that out. As well, we, our microphone and our speaker system is set up that during a song service, what we could put out is everything is set up to going out on the, uh, over the internet is that it's my mic or this mic per se, or Pastor Art's mic. And so we haven't wanted to do the song leader doing a solo on the internet. So we're working in these next few weeks on trying to integrate how to blend the sound of the congregation or the piano, piano. And so we don't have opportunity to practice ahead of a service time because there's no congregation here to practice ahead of time. So bear with us, those of, us, those of you who are watching us online or those of you who are here that will end up doing that in the next few weeks. Bear with us as sometimes we're trying to work through some of the details, unless you all show up on one weeknight and fill the auditorium and then sing for a while, then that's the way we're going to have to practice to work on how to modulate all that. Otherwise, we're just going to have to work through it, and I appreciate your patience. Speaking of that online, uh, how many of you have taken advantage of listening to our services or following? We did while we were on vacation. We set for, got ourselves all set. We're going to tune in to Faith Baptist Church at the time. So about 10.40, my wife, 10.50, 50.45, my wife got it all set up, turned it on, and it's like quarter of, quarter of 11. And Jeff Tuttle was already preaching. And it was like, wow, did they do a fast song service. I've never, song service that fast, 10.45, wow. And then his next minute, he says, let us pray. And it was like, they did a church service in 17 minutes at Faith Baptist. That's amazing. Nobody's preached that fast at that church. I know that's the case. Then it dawned on us, we're in Minnesota. There's an hour time change. <laughs> so uh, we've totally forgot that we're an hour difference in that. We had a wonderful time while we were away. We're like you. We did the vacation, did all kinds of different things. In fact, we planned some things and some things we didn't plan. And actually, the more unplanned we did, the better it got. And so we did all kinds of fun, goofy things. And it, it's all, you know, vacations, vacation's a thrill. You get to do some stuff that you normally don't get to do, the alpine slides, you know, the dunes, and, and get to see sites that we normally don't see. In fact, we have things that are in our back park, par, uh, backyard that we don't usually see 
just because we're so used to, you know, seeing the Gettysburg or the, the Hershey's or this or that. And so you go away and it's fun. And we planned and had a great time, but there are some things that, that are tragic when you're driving down the road. Driving down the road and you see these accidents and you see these incidents and those poor people. You pray immediately. I remember a few weeks ago, I was taking a group up to Portugal that was flying out, and when we were going up 78, and 78 is always such a pleasant road to drive. So we're headed up 78, and there's only a couple trucks on the road on 78, and we're driving up, and we're getting close to New York, and all of a sudden we see that there are lanes, all four lanes in that area of Jersey went down to the shoulder of the road. And it was like, well, I hope we get these people to the airport on time. And we were far enough into that congestion that it didn't slow us up enough and we got them there in time. But then I had to drive out of New York and come back through that area. And by that point, it was already a six-mile backup where a truck, the one up in the top left-hand corner, a dump truck had crashed with a car and then two or three other cars crashed in them. That thing was still closed coming out of New York Saturday morning. That was a Friday night into Saturday, or Thursday night into a Friday morning. And it caused such a huge backup. And several people lost their lives. Accidents happen. The bus trip this week that you heard about, that bus trip and the semi-blowing the tire and the collision and a dozen people losing their lives, they didn't plan on that. Nobody planned that day that that happened. They may have had vacation plans, they may have had other plans, but they didn't plan on that day losing their life. You say, wait a minute, you know, people think about it. No, I, I don't think the people who went to that concert in Vegas last year really thought that they weren't going to walk away from that concert. I don't think down in Jacksonville this past week, week and a half, I don't think those people that went to the Madden gameplay thought that they were going to possibly lose their lives. In fact, one young man made a very ironic statement. He said, he's down there doing the Madden challenge at that competition there in Jacksonville. He says, I refuse to play the shoot 'em up video games, and I go to a competition and get shot. How ironic. He didn't plan on that. He didn't plan on that. And there's people around the world, they don't plan it. Send your kid off to play basketball. You don't plan on finding out this week, first day of college, that he did a pickup game and he lost his life. This, trans, this student that came all the way from Kenya. You don't plan when your kids go and play football that all of a sudden they may not come home that day. We don't plan that. Those events, you don't plan. You don't plan to go to an amusement park and flying off the roller coaster. Okay? And I'm not showing this so that you don't ever ride a roller coaster again. <laughs> I'm saying this because there's a part of life that we don't talk about a whole lot and we don't want to talk about, and that's the end of our lives. We've got too much to go on. We've got too much that's happening. We're too busy. And yet the reality of the Scripture says that every one of us in this room at one time, unless the Lord intervenes with a miracle, it's appointed unto us once to pass away. And Jesus knowing that, Jesus realizing this is a part of life, and it's not the end of life. It's just an entrance into a new phase. Jesus spoke a lot about what happens when our lives end and how we need to prepare for that. Join me in several passages where Jesus spoke about this very thing. And just let me read, and then after I'm done reading, we're going to put it all together. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he's trying to impress upon them the idea that you need to prepare. You need to think about what happens at the end of your life. Look down in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits. This will I do. I will pull down the barns I have and build greater ones. And there I will bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Retirement's going to be great. 
And God said to him that night, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall all these things be which you have provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jump over a few chapters to your right and join me in, in Luke where we read in chapter 23. Actually, I want you to stop at chapter 16. Let's stop there in the middle. Luke chapter 16, just for a second. We'll go there first. Luke 16, then we'll come to chapter 23. Luke 16. This is a time where Jesus is preaching. He's talking about the brevity of life and the, what happens afterwards. And it's a story that he tells of what's happened to two individuals. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked that man's sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell that rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in your lifetime you received good things, Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from where you're at. Then he said, I pray you, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses, the prophets, let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, then they will repent. And Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. Let's go now to that Luke 23, where Jesus once again is talking about what happens at the end of life here on this earth as we know it. We are talking this moment that Jesus is on the cross and while he's on the cross, he has a conversation with one of the thieves next to him. Verse 39. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If you be Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing you are in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Today shall you be with me in paradise. Let's go to another gospel to your right. Let's go to John. John chapter 14. The gospel of John chapter 14. This is the, just hours before the passage we just read. This is Jesus in that last supper talking to his disciples. And in John 14 he makes a statement here that is very, very important. John 14 starting with the verse 1. In the middle of all of this discussion of what's happening to him that evening he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And then he goes on to say, Whither I go you know, and the way and Thomas doubts and says, We don't know. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father 
but by me. Would you join me in one of the epistles? This is not exactly the words of Jesus, the verbatim, but this is his words that he spoke through one of his disciples, one of his apostles, that is Paul. We read in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is writing in this text and about what's going to happen in the future, what happens after life on this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he gives us a lot of details of what's coming up ahead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1 and read an extended passage. For we know that if our earthly house or body of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building, a new body of God, a house, a new body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this or for this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed, clothed upon with our new bodies or house, that which is from heaven. If so, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this temporary body, do groan being burdened. For not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of the life. Now he that hath wrought of this, for the, wrought us for the selfsame thing, is God, who also hath given to us the down payment, the promissory note, the engagement ring, the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from this body to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be pleasing unto him or accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, literally profitable or unprofitable. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your conscience. Okay, let me just mention one other passage. A passage that you're familiar with. In fact, it's our this week memory verse. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Now if I combine all these passages together, it's going to give me information. Pertinent, important information that will help us out in avoiding disaster. Uh, last night I had disaster. I'm mowing, I went home after I did some mowing for somebody else and went home and I'm mowing my lawn. And as I'm mowing my lawn, I didn't realize, but my neighbors had found that bees right along the area where we shared lawns had all of a sudden nested in the ground. I was wondering why that area was so high in the grass. And I mowed over it and I came a second time mowing over it and then, not having any warning, I ended up being stung multiple, multiple times. I, I, they must have been, in, if they were watching out the window, I gave them a show. You know, screaming and yelling and running away from my lawnmower and then trying to go back and then and as soon as I saw another one, I ran away. You know, so here's this old man being scared by some unseen bug. But without a warning, I had no idea. Let me give you a warning from Scripture this morning that our life on this earth is not permanent. It is temporary. And with that warning saying we need to prepare, let me explain a little bit of what will happen when life on this earth ends for you and me. So that we prepare the right way. So we have an idea of what to do, how to get ready, how to prepare. We, uh, on vacation, we did something impromptu. We decided that Deb's mom, whose husband had passed away a few months ago, needed to get out of her house for just a few days. We weren't going to be enough to comfort 
So we thought we would take her with us and go and do something special. So we got in the car. We got there, and about a few hours later, we said, Katie, let's take you for a trip. Let's get you out of the house, change of environment. She says, oh, I'd love that. Let's just go up to the northern part of Minnesota. I haven't been there in, I don't remember ever being up to the Duluth area in Lake Superior. Let's go up there, and let's spend a couple days. And she said, oh, I already have my luggage packed. We didn't talk about this. I'm going to a retreat in two weeks. So I have my luggage packed for this retreat for two weeks. We said, great, just grab it. And so we got everything, her luggage, our stuff in the car, and we drove off. We're almost up to Duluth. It's a three-hour trip from her house. We're up in, in that area. And I said, oh, by the way, Katie, did you grab your cane? She needs a cane to walk. She says, no. Did you bring your walker? No. Okay, now Duluth is like this, Okay. <laughs> And she hadn't planned and prepared, neither did we. So there's a lot of people who don't plan and prepare for the future. To plan and prepare, let's talk about wisely what we need to do. What we need to do is remember these thoughts. One moment after your life ends, you will be in either heaven or hell. When your life ends here in this life, whenever it ends, it, one moment after that, it's going to be you have moved to a new residency. Now, this may not be profound or new to most of you, but think this through for your friends, for your family. There's no gap of time in between. There is no second chance. There are those who say, well, when I pass away, I will be able to get right with the Lord then. That's not true. Today you will be with me in paradise. There's not this gap of time. Jesus told the man there on the, on the cross. Paul says, absent from the body, we're with the present with the Lord. Now that's a blessing for us, that there is no the gap of time, there is no soul sleep, but if we leave this body, we're going to be in the Lord's presence. That's a blessing. We know that for those who do not know the Lord, there's the tragedy that the rich man opened his eyes being in hell. No gap of time. No second chance. The moment after we pass away, you're going to be in heaven or hell. Now, the Bible gives us some information for those of you who are believers, those of you whose family and loved ones who have passed and are believers, the joy of where do they go from here as soon as they find themselves in heaven. What is it like? 2 Corinthians. Would you turn there with me for a moment? He talks in 2 Corinthians about a life experience of somebody that Paul knew who did leave this earth and go into heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It is expedient, he says, for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations. <clears throat> He says, I knew a man in Christ, a believer, about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a man was caught up, the same word we use for rapture. He was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body. What he means by that phrase is, did this man have a special taking to heaven physically and spiritually? Did he go to heaven and come back this is an extraordinary thing, or did he pass away, go to heaven, and then God put his spirit back into his body? He says, I don't know which one it was. Whether it was physically taken to heaven, raptured and brought back, or died and then came back from the dead. I don't know. God knows. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. But he goes on and he says that he was caught up to the third heaven, and you understand what that means. The sky around us is the first heaven. The stars and cosmos, second heaven, third heaven is God's dwelling place. So he says he was caught up into the third heaven. And then he talks about this man, what he heard in heaven, and that's the interesting part, how he was caught up to paradise, he heard unspeakable words. 
That idea is the, is the idea that when you hear something unspeakable, it could be one of two things. Something that he, it was a different language. Surprise, maybe they don't speak English in heaven. Okay? So, different language, or it was ideas beyond description. I probably would, line, would say more likely the latter. But he saw things, he heard things that were so phenomenal that he couldn't express it. And then he adds this statement, which is a very interesting statement. If I could, I would not be permitted to tell you what's there. It was God, God has, re, has certain things he has not revealed or chosen not to reveal beyond the word of God. And so I can't claim, Paul said, that I was unique, and I think it was Paul, taken to heaven and see things and come back and give you information beyond Scripture. God won't allow that. He said, but what I heard was amazing, and what I saw was amazing. And I'm going to, he says, but I won't go beyond what God has revealed. What God has revealed about heaven is absolutely awesome. That heaven is this streets of gold, this beautiful place, this huge city. We did a series on heaven a year, year and a half ago. It seems like it's that short time. It's probably been five years, how time flies. But we did an entire series, and I was amazed at how wonderful heaven is, is talked about in Scripture, how w glorious it is, how we don't have to deal with overwatering you know, floods. We don't have to deal with storms. We don't have to deal with taxes. We don't have to deal with crime. We don't have to deal with, with a bad environment. We don't have to deal with sickness or sorrow or weakness. It is this perfect environment that is so beautiful. We saw beautiful sights. You have too when you've gone to different places and a vacation and you've seen different regions of the world or that are different countries and we saw amazing sights, these dunes by Michigan that we had seen advertised, never went there. How absolutely phenomenal and fascinating and that's a sin-cursed earth. Think of what heaven must be like. How glorious it is. And the moment after we pass, the moment after a loved one passes, immediately if they're a believer, they're in heaven. How wonderful for them. How amazing for them. But flip side is, flip side of it is that, he, that this is real, even though heaven is so phenomenal, it's real. There is another real place. He sat, talks the man who is there in hell. And the torments that he immediately experienced, as real as heaven is, so is there a hell. And it is a really bad place. It is a place where Jesus at length describes to warn people, to, to get people to realize that this is a place you do not want to go to, where there is the suffering, there is the pain, there is the loneliness, there is no comfort. And as real as that is, you have just the opposite, the glories of the fellowship of God Almighty and the fellowship of saints and the, the, the blessings of being with others. The point is, we choose. And there are no other options. There is no purgatory. I grew up in a church that there was a purgatory. There was a limbo. There is no such option in Scripture that was, that was brought up by people to pacify, to, to give an interim period of time, to give a second chance. That's just not true. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Where do you go? The choice needs to be made because one moment after your life ends you will realize you are in heaven or hell forever. 
Forever is the, is the important thought here. The idea is that you and I can choose. We can live in a place. I chose my wife to raise our kids to live on the other side of Lebanon, right by the railroad tracks, and contend with them day after day for 30 years. And then we chose, we didn't like that anymore, and we didn't like that one-bathroom house where we raised four kids. We went to a two-bathroom house where it's only the two of us. Okay. <laughs> And we could choose now. If we don't want to stay there, we can move. We can, which you have done, to choose another place, to go another. It's, but when we get to heaven or hell, there is no choice of leaving. Well, one, in heaven you wouldn't want to. In hell, the desire by that rich man was, I want out of here. You can't. There's a great gulf fixed. Well, can somebody from there come? They can't. There's a great gulf fixed. It is a permanent dwelling place. Now, heaven is permanent, but we are able to go throughout the new heaven, the new earth, as much and as far as God will allow us. It's appointed to man once to die. There is no second chance after you pass away. The preparations for it must be made in this lifetime for those who this week went on that bus and thought that they had plenty of time to choose. They didn't. For those athletes who went and all of a sudden they had something happen in their body where all of, all of a sudden they, they found themselves a statistical. A number of, your number of the, one of those young people who collapsed and died on the sports field. They didn't plan on that. It happened. It happens to people suddenly. You need to prepare in this life, not the next. It must be done here and now. So you determine heaven or hell because once you get there, it's permanent. And you will get there immediately after you pass away. So let's take another thought. One moment after your life ends and you are in heaven, for those of us who are believers, you will be reunited with your loved ones forever. This is the beauty. This is, this is the glory. This is the thrill of one of the aspects of heaven that I'm finding as time goes by. It is becoming more and more inviting, is knowing people who are going there, who have gone there whether it be loved ones in the immediate family or within the church family. Paul talks about this. Because the believers in Thessalonica, the believers in Corinth, the believers were struggling, they were losing loved ones, and these loved ones were passing away, and they were saying, wait a minute, if they passed away before Jesus returned, then what happens to them? So he writes a text, and in the text he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The idea that there's going to be a reunion and so shall we, all of us, ever be with the Lord. Here is the blessed hope. Here is the comfort one another with these words. The idea that we're going to be reunited not only with Christ but with loved ones, parents, siblings, children. You know what it's like. Some of you experienced for the first time this week saying to your oldest as they go off to kindergarten, God bless you. Now, for a lot of us, it was a bittersweet experience sending them off to kindergarten. Great that they're out of the house, but you're going to miss them. You know, some of us have had that experience when the kids go off to college. When we've taken them to college and drop them off, and then we float back in our own tears. Like, they're doing well, they're not that far away, but we miss them. Some of us have had the experience where we've given away the kids in marriage. And it's a joyful thing, and you're excited. But many of us have sat and had tears, mixed tears. Tears of joy, but in the back there's a little bit of the tear like, it's different now. 
It's a different relationship. Some have had the experience of seeing your kids go to foreign lands. I mean, not just within driving distance, but they're gone a long way. And you're not going to see them for a long time. And the blessing of our day is Skype, FaceTime. It's the delight, but it's still there is, you know, saying goodbye and just there's something about that. And then some of you have had the most tragic goodbye to children, to siblings, to parents. Doesn't it thrill your heart that you're going to be together one day? You're going to be reunited and there is no more there's no more nighttime. When you see them the next time, it will be an undivided time, an unending time, a reunion that will be beyond anything that you can imagine, a reunion with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends, that you are going to be able to enjoy their company throughout that new heaven, throughout that new kingdom, and it will be unending. And there will no longer be those tears, those crying, those sorrowful farewells. It'll be a reunion that will last forever and ever. The other part of those of us who go to heaven, one moment after we die, we will realize that everything that we've experienced for trials and temptations is done. It's over with. When I pass away, whether it be in this week, this year, this month, this decade, whenever that happens... That moment, I will realize immediately afterwards the trials are over. The problems are over. The taxes are over. The, the difficulties of, of jobs or neighbors, they're over. The challenges of physical health, or should we say lack of health, is over. The pressure of paying the bills, making enough money, it is over. The, the idea of, of being struggling and, and hurting and, and being beat up by others or being beat up by Satan himself, it is over. He writes in that passage of 2 Corinthians that we read, for we know that if this body is dissolved, we have a new body of God, a new house not made with hands, and he goes on, we groan for it earnestly desiring to be putting on a new body. Now, some of you are of different ages, you know, and it's not quite the same thing, but there's a good number of here in the room that when getting out of bed, you know you're getting out. It's becoming a little bit more of a chore. Won't it be nice to have a renewed body? We're no longer having the, the physical issues. We're no longer, for some of you, the... Knee replacements are really replaced for permanent, for good. There's not going to be any more, I'll give you one that's got to be a blessing for America in this day, no more dealing with insurance companies. <laughs> right? It's going to be a re I remember, this is, this is semi-gross, okay? I remember when I was about that wise old age of about 13, uh, maybe 12, probably 11, um, that right here I developed this ugly-looking, massive-looking wart on my hand. And it was so embarrassing. You know, I was in that teen era where everything was important. You know, every, every, 
every, uh, I was going to say lock of hair. You, you can't imagine that. I know, I understand. But I had long hair at that time. And every, it had to be in the perfect spot at all times. Okay? I mean, there wasn't a time you didn't pass a mirror to look, glance. You know, water fountains were just for mere sake, just to look, to see how things look. Do you remember those days? So I had this ugly looking wart and I didn't want to tell anybody about it as if they couldn't see, but I didn't want anybody to see. And so I didn't know how to get rid of it and I had this science kit. And in this science kit they had these knives that you could dissect with. Okay. I told you this was gross, I warned you. I took that thing and I, would, and I thought, okay, I will just get rid of this. And I'm right-handed, so doing it left-handed was worse. And so I would, every so often, just try to scrape it so it looked normal. And then that thing would bleed and be a real problem. And then I'd, so then I'd walk around with this huge bandage for a few days, and people would say, what happened? Nothing. Nothing. You know. So everything I did made, brought more attention to it. And again, these are in the days that in our town, we didn't know that much. We were in a small town in central Minnesota, and we were kind of, um, some would call hickish. Um, we were backwards. So I didn't know anything like Compound W. We, we only had two, you know, three TV stations and one that came in. And, and they didn't advertise that stuff at that time. And so well, I didn't know anything about a Compound W. And you know, so my, you know, my mom finally said, what is going on with you? She caught me digging one day. And she says, you know, what's going on? I said, well, I've got this thing. And she says, well, you need to get something from a doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. She says, well, you know, it's the male thing. I'm not going to the doctor. And it uh, started very early in my life. And um, she said, well, I heard, she mentioned one of her sisters, and they said something about Compound W, and she said, we should get that. And you say, well, everybody knows about it. Hey, listen, back in that day, in that town, a Saturday afternoon fun thing was going to watch the grocery store. We'd go stand out there and watch the, the doors were automatic doors. And that was so fascinating to us. Okay, so we're kind of in arrears, okay? And so knowing about anything, so we go up there and my mom gets this stuff and I put it on and within a sh very, very, very short period, it was gone. And it was gone, gone. That compound W saved my teenage life, okay? <laughs> it was fascinating. It was just like, wow. Wow, that's amazing stuff that it took away the wart and all. Do you know what's going to happen when we pass away? We enter into a phase where God has taken away the warts and all. That there is no more problems, no more difficulties, no more challenges. Think about your loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord, how fortunate they are. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Do you want them to be back with you? Yes, absolutely, because you long. But more, more, a bigger step is it'd be nicer to be with them. Be better with them because it is going to be such a glorious thing because one moment after I die, I'm going to realize all my trials and troubles are done. One moment after my life ends here, I'm going to realize that a whole lot of things that I'm focusing on in this life were not that important after all. Now, I'm not saying these things are bad. But do you remember that the man in the parable Jesus is telling is so focused on things, pensions, savings, getting, he says, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God to show him, to realize, to say, hey, wait a minute, these things that we have that we focus on so often are not the most important things after all, says to him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Whose then shall these things be? 
He's trying to get him to realize what is important in this life. What are you focusing on? And we have to ask the questions. What do we focus on? And again, not to say that these things are all evil, but a lot of times they get a whole lot more of our time than what they should actually deserve. They aren't going to be the things we take with us. But they at times start to dominate our time. They dominate our perspective. They control us. Oh, and at times we rightfully need to give attention, no doubt. But all of a sudden, when we get to heaven, we, when we get to heaven, I'm going to realize that my car is really... Th- so what? I mean, I think that now of my cars. <laughs> so what? But the things we really like... I tell my wife frequently, I, I think I'm, I, I want to be careful. I really like my house where we moved to, but I fear I might like it too much. Because I need to be keeping in mind constantly, let it go. That's not a song, it's a phrase, okay? <laughs> we have to have a mindset that they aren't the most important things. Right now, the most important things in my life, my wife, kids, grandkids, and you. And those are the things that are most important. Why? Because they are the things we take with us. Those are the items, and that's what we need to be focusing on. What is, what is most important that we really, 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 and again, we, we have obligations. We're stewards. We have to take care of the properties, the possessions, the, thing, excuse me, the things that God has put into our, in our care. But the most important that deserves our greatest attention are those things we're taking with us, and first and foremost, that's people. That is, what people are going with us. Who are we going to be with in eternity? The souls of individuals we know, which demands, therefore, that we share the truth, that we tell the truth, that our kids hear the truth, that they, we, we do what we can to convince them that we believe this, that this is true, that being born again is important and you need to be born again and giving your life to Christ is the most important thing. And more important than anything else is serving Him. That training should be a major focus of every one of us who are parents and grandparents to relay that because those souls are going with us. The other area that goes with us are the investments that God says you can take with you. And there are investments that he says, okay, here's where you can invest, and this can be, this can be of to, to your benefit. This can be brought with you into eternity. And he talks about that. In fact, he mentions about the crowns, the rewards that we will get. For we believers, we read this, must all appear before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in our body according to what we have done, whether profitable or unprofitable. That's our judgment. Not whether or not we go to heaven, who are born again. We're already there. But it's going to be, okay, what did you invest in? What was your focus in this lifetime? What were you, what were you giving your greatest attention and time to? What was your priorities? Okay. Well, it was a priority, and it was a right priority. You've got to provide for your family. That's a proper priority. But did it consume Did it dominate to the exclusion of relationships that you lost your kids in the process of providing things for them? That's your difference. And so he's looking and he's saying, now, okay, what are you going to do? And on top of that, he's going to give rewards. 
these rewards are going to be merited out to individuals in heaven based upon what did you focus on in this life. And he gives at least five that we know of. That he talks about rewards, he calls them crowns. They're really the picture is erroneous. The picture is not the crown like a royal, royal crown where you're ruling, but it's a crown of a laurel wreath, a medallion, a, a wreath given in to the Olympic champions. It's an athlete's crown. And he gives several of them. There's five of them mentioned in Scripture. So we know there's at least five, if not more. The one is called the crown of rejoicing. Talked about in First Thessalonians, he says, are not you our crown of rejoicing? This is the idea of Paul saying that there's this crown given for sharing the gospel. That giving out the gospel, he said, I gave out the gospel to you. You're my reward. You're my merit. I, when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to commend me for giving you the gospel. That missions at home and abroad should be a priority, therefore, for us. Investing in some way by personal involvement, by prayer support, by, by investment financially, by giving what we can, doing what we can to enhance missions abroad and at home. The crown of righteousness. This is a crown that he talks about that he goes and given to those who are looking for Christ's return, who are anticipating it, who are expecting it, who are looking forward to it, who are living as if Christ could come back at any moment, which would impact all of our lives. It would make a big difference where you go, what you do, what you say, if you're thinking Christ could come back at any moment. For those living, acting, and expecting that, he says there's a crown. That should be an investment. A crown of glory. This is for a select group as far as their occupation, those who have, are vocational in the preaching or those who are called into the vocation of preaching, the individuals who have done that preaching, teaching of the Word of God as pastor shepherds, have they done it for His glory or for their own? Are they doing it based upon what people think, what people, what people, whether they get commendation from individuals? You know, do we, do we share, do we preach because we're making a name for ourselves or we're doing it for, this, for the glory of Jesus Christ and saying things that are true and correct without fear of reaction or rejection of others? Shepherding, by leading, not by tormenting the congregation. There's a crown there. There's a crown that's called the incorruptible crown, and this is given for those, he says, who run a good race. In Corinthians, he talks about this as well. It's that idea of self-control, saying no to temptation, keeping your body into subjection, that God will commend that. God will give crowns for being faithful in purity in your life in controlling your speech, controlling your anger, controlling your lust, controlling your, your response to other people, the gossip or the lack of gossip that you get involved with. There's going to be, what have you done in that action? There's the crown of life. The crown of life that James talks about and Revelation talks about is the idea of enduring trials. Now, the reason that this one is, is so common like some of the others is, most everyone in this room has some trial. How are you responding to the trial, the difficulty? Do you get upset? Do you get mad? Do you blow off steam? Do you blow off people? Do you, do you just blow off God and say, I want nothing to do with you anymore? Faithfulness, and he talks about it, especially under persecution, which we have not faced, but even to that degree, are you faithful? There are those crowns that he talks about throughout scriptures that he gives an idea that one moment after we die, we're going to realize that, hey, 
My opportunity to merit any of those rewards is done. For those who sit and listen to this, here or at home, here's a profound thought. For those of you who are saying, one day I'm going to start witnessing. One day I'm going to start saying no to the sin that doth so easily beset me. One day I'm going to start training my kids. One day I'm going to make a shift. As I, when I get older, then I'm going to make a shift to really start focusing on spiritual things. Here's a profound thought. The moment after you pass away, every opportunity to merit those eternal rewards is done. You will not be able to witness to those loved ones, to those co-workers, after you have passed away. Now, Maybe someone like myself or your family can use your testimony, but outside of that, you're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to say, now I'm going to really get pure and pious before the Lord in, in right sense. Now I'm going to really live the Christian life. It's too late. It's too late. One moment after you pass away, and by the way, those crowns that you are given for your labors in this lifetime, they determine your job in eternity. They determine your, your actions in eternity. In, in China, as we've shared with you before, when we, were, when we were visiting there, we met with some school principals, and they were saying the, the senior test that they were taking was so important because the, that whole school that we were visiting, whatever they did on this senior test was going to determine what college they were going to be allowed to enter. And they wouldn't be able to go back and to undo that. It was this test was so important, and then that would determine that college, that field, and that's where they were going to stay for the next years and years and years in that area. So are the rewards for all of us. What we do in this lifetime, we will get rewarded for in heaven, and that determines our occupation, our assignments for eternity. You know, you think about that. 30 years of being a Christian is going to impact millions and millions and millions of years. We better do the 30 years right. This week of Christianity could impact decades and centuries of your future. Don't minimize serving Christ now. Don't minimize what you can do. For me, I have to rethink this. I need to be a more faithful shepherd. Some of us need to think, of, what about getting that gospel out to others? What about that life of purity? What about saying no to that sin, that temptation that I keep on saying yes to? What about getting really serious about it now? What about handling my trials different than getting mad at the family, getting mad at others, and handling it the way God says? What about reminding myself when I'm in a conversation, Christ could come back, is my conversation Christ-like and godly? Making a difference, the investments now. Okay, what do we do? What do we do with all this? Well, what do we do is very simple. If you're not born again, you've got to get born again today. Born again is the word that Jesus would use, that we use, Jesus did use. We use about being saved, making sure you're on your way to heaven. That's being born again. Calling upon Christ to be your Savior. No longer relying upon baptism, church, good looks, good works, good finances, but faith in Jesus alone, realizing he is the way, the truth, and the life. 